Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Shares for beginners. The average Australian today, working Australian today, will pay about $450,000 in superannuation fees over their lifetime. That is the most expensive service you will ever pay for. And yet, more than 90% of people would have no idea at all. They probably don't even know they're paying fees because we don't engage in our super until we're 60 and then go, oh no, and it's all too late. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. Women represent half the population, but just a third of the wealth. They start more small businesses than men, but get less in business loans. Women-founded businesses get just 4% of venture capital. And poorer women are being slugged at 3 to 4% per annum in total fees in their super. Joining me today to discuss is Craig Swanger from Superfierce. G'day, Craig. G'day, Phil. Thanks very much for coming on. Now, Craig Swanger is the investments guru and co-founder of Superfierce, a for-purpose company focused on closing the super gap at retirement and empowering Aussie women financially. So, before we get started into super, tell us about your background in capital markets. You've had uh, quite the journey there. Quite the journey indeed. In fact, I was trading shares when I was about 11 years old. I managed to get in before the 87, 88 downturn. Snuck in under my mother's account because you're not even allowed to trade shares at that age. But clearly someone had no friends as a young child. Then I wound up in my late 20s at Macquarie Bank, as it was called back then, now Macquarie Group. Quickly went into the investments area there. And 15 years later, um, when I left, I was the global chief investment officer at Macquarie. Had an enormous amount of fun, great learning experience, and really only left because it was very hard at a, such a large place like Macquarie as it became by that time to invest in early stage companies. Macquarie is literally too large to be able to do it. it, took too much time. So I wanted to make more of a difference at the for purpose social impact end. And so in 2013 left. Since then, I've been investing in, advising, setting up various early stage fintech, largely financial technology companies. Just going back a little bit to the 80s and uh, trading at 11, how did you get so interested at that sort of early age? Clearly, complete nerd. Beyond that, I actually really don't know. My parents had some, some interest in investing in shares. They weren't fund managers or anything like that. In fact, um, Dad was in real estate, so maybe there's a bit of an investment blood there somewhere. There's certainly some entrepreneurial DNA there. But I, at some stage during the 80s, got involved in the share market just out of interest. It was something that my mother and I did together from time to time and then just got more and more interested. You remember at one stage, entrepreneur was a dirty word back in the 80s where there were Alan Bonds and so on. Yeah, it was the White Shoe Brigade, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And so I got particularly interested in people like Ron Briley. Unfortunately, he's gone the wrong side of the tracks more recently, but the sort of investors who saw value in different companies and went in to try and improve those for shareholders, but also for customers and for staff. And that, that was a very early movement. Really, in those days, you had Buffett in the States, Briley, you had 
one or two in Australia, we were more of the mining ilk. I found that area very interesting and sort of followed that my whole way through high school. And, and so then when I left left university, really, um, that was my, my first entrance into Macquarie was talking to them about what could be done in that space. And Ron Briley was known as a corporate raider, wasn't he? I mean, he had a reputation as um, some people would say destroyer of companies, but um, what do you believe he was more of an unlocker of value? Yeah, in, in his early days, well, probably not his early days, probably his midlife, my early days, <laughs> he was very capable in going in and ripping out bureaucracy, ripping out management and actually focusing back on core product. And if a business was doing two things that just didn't relate to each other, pulling them apart, and yeah, Australia's really missed that in the decades since because you know, companies like Telstra could have been three or four different companies that probably would have been more successful collectively but for various reasons got kept as one. And unfortunately, then what happens is the, the bureaucrats take over and the the weakest uh, common factor in the organisation becomes its mainstream. Mm. Well, let's move forward in your career to um, the VC companies that you've helped and um, fintech. Can you describe a couple of these companies and um, what they're actually trying to achieve? There's a common theme with all of them that typically would attract me at the start, and they're, they're looking to do something a bit different. I find it a bit frustrating in fintech that there's a lot of, there's already 200 robo-advisors, so let's have a 201. There's already 300 super funds, so let's have another one, right? There's no need. If you're going to use technology, to me, it's a waste unless you can actually use it to improve the outcomes for, hopefully, the customers of that company, and in doing so, improve it for the shareholders as well. That's my belief, is technology is more efficient. So if you can cut costs, then two people should be better off, the customers and the shareholders. And so that, that whenever I've joined a company, it's someone who's looking to do something like that. So there's listed entity that I went onto the board of back in 2015. It's now called Wiser Limited. Incredibly innovative company with um, a very, very strong leadership team and, and most importantly, a vision. And that vision was all around, it's, it's actually in personal lending. So they do personal loans. Right? So not what you would call on the surface a company that's doing good per se. However, people genuinely need personal loans. And so the doing good part was going, what can we do to really help this person never need a personal loan? But inevitably, they're going to. So if they do, they'll choose us because we've helped them before that. So you're doing good and doing well at the same time. So what's the difference between going to a bank, say, for a personal loan and going to someone like Wiser? Look, there's two main differences. One, I think, is technology and the other is intent. And it's not that the banks have bad intent. It's that they generally lack good intent because they're such large organisations. How can kind of human values permeate through an organisation that's tens of thousands of people? So you tend to find with fintechs, the first difference is that the technology makes them more efficient. It's either a more efficient discovery process for the consumer, more efficient application process, more efficient processing, or just management. That can give them a, a real economic advantage. But then the second thing needs to be intent, that you're going to take that efficiency and it's going to give something back to the user and keep some for the shareholder. Well, let's move on to superannuation then, which is um, what Superfierce is all about. Well, my first question was, why does superannuation require demystification? I've been through your FAQs, and so I thought I'd throw that one straight at you. Let's start a little bit about what Superfierce is looking to do in terms of improving the situation for consumers. 
We focus on improving the outcomes for women, but I guess the first point is that men aren't excluded. And it's a nuance that we really draw attention to because much of financial services is set up with a very male lifetime experience. Men tend to do their education, whether it includes a union or not, start work, their income grows over their life, it peaks at some stage and they retire with very few bumps along the way other than maybe sort of the unfortunate sicknesses or so on. For women, much unlike men, they can start their career knowing almost certainly they're going to have some substantial bumps on the road when it comes to their wealth building, right? If they plan to have kids, hopefully they can, and that'll mean that there's time out of the workforce. If they try and have kids and and can't for various reasons, there's still some pretty bumpy years there uh, if you've had friends go through that experience. If anyone winds up looking after elderly parents, Typically, it's the daughter or daughter-in-law who's doing that. So for most women, there tends to be a very bumpy road. And while men are homogenous, women are definitely far more nuanced. Financial services, including superannuation in particular, is not set up for that. Financial services assumes that everything is smooth. So what did we set out to do? We set out to help close the gender wealth gap by focusing firstly on super, quite importantly, that's not where we end at all. We will be moving on to all of the other areas that help build wealth, home ownership, small business, and so on. But we started with super because every working Australian has a superannuation account. Probably one of the most common questions that we get asked is your people will say, hey, I really want to get into investing. And our answer is, you already are. And most people don't know that they already have an investment portfolio. And very few people understand that for any woman who's under the age of 40 right now, their super will be the largest asset they ever own, right? For anyone over 40, it used to be your home. But because of the way super, when it was introduced by Keating and the time it's been around and the fact that there's a much higher percentage going into super, anyone under 40, super is now going to be their largest ever financial asset. And it's their money. That's the second thing people don't understand. They think it's this amazing pool that sits over there and at some stage they might get some of it. It's always their money. It's just locked up. It's a piggy bank with no plug on the bottom. You can never get access to it until you know the government says you've reached that retirement age. And because it's their money and it's their investment portfolio, what we're trying to do is encourage them to take ownership. Now, that doesn't mean go and set up an SMSF. Because core to our beliefs is that, you know, over the long term, no one, even the best fund manager in the world, can beat the market, right? So it's not about managing the money. It's about taking responsibility. The average Australian today, working Australian today, will pay about $450,000 in superannuation fees over their lifetime. That is the most expensive service you will ever pay for. And yet, more than 90% of people would have no idea at all. They probably don't even know they're paying fees because we don't engage in our super until we're 60 and then go, oh no, and it's all too late. That's an incredible thing to know about your super and uh, another incredible thing to understand. And this is something that I've only just been understanding myself from doing this podcast is about asset allocation, because you see these portfolios that they put in front of you. And most people who don't have any background in financial services don't understand about asset allocation, don't understand about bonds, real estate, alternative investments, but all of these other things that they're being bucketed 
into. And I, I really think that's part of the learning process that people need to do to take ownership of their investments. Absolutely. We focus on fees first, but a lot of people misunderstand that we don't look at performance. And actually we do. So what we typically do is we'll start with every fund in the market. We've actually got the only, pretty much the only database that covers every single open super fund. We look at the performance. We eliminate funds that have persistently underperformed. We then eliminate funds that haven't consistently outperformed. We want them good markets and bad markets. Then we look at funds that actually have not just outperformed on, say, their MySuper account, but also, coming back to your point about asset allocation, on their funds that have more risky assets and less risky assets in their ethical, sustainable category. We want to see that they outperform on all of their options. And out of 300 plus funds in the market, only 18 funds have outperformed over any meaningful period of time, good markets and bad and across all options, 18 out of 300 and something. So we take that group and we then say, great. Now, out of that group, for our customer that we're dealing with today, for Phil, given his balance and his age and his income and his aspirations, which fund is going to result in the lowest fees for the remainder of his working life? So it's low fees within a performance bucket. And that's really where the asset allocation becomes critical because people also will look at, and unfortunately, the superannuation industry has not done a good job at explaining that the performance of one fund is not comparable with the performance of another. Because just because a fund takes more risk and therefore achieves a better return does not mean it's a better fund. What I want, and we adjust for this in, in our figures, is I want a fund that gives me a better return for the same risk, or put backwards as the fund managers will say, is better risk-adjusted returns, but it basically means the same thing. Because when you're younger, particularly up to the age of, say, 40 or 45, you should really be in quite a high-risk portfolio where the majority of it's in shares or private equity or property or infrastructure, and very little in bonds and cash. And as you get older, it will de-risk a little bit. But we're in super for a really long time. 50 years until you retire, and then probably another 20 after that, right? <laughs> Talk about the long term. It does not get any longer than that. So you really want to be in asset classes. You really want your asset allocation to be taking advantage of that. And you can stomach some ups and downs along the way. Go into shares. I think that's a problem sometimes for younger people is that they, they think, oh, I'm a conservative person and oh, this uh, portfolio allocation is conservative. That's what I should be putting my super into. <laughs> that's not really the case, is it? No, it's not really the case. And um, I'll get back on my agenda soapbox and talk about risk profiling. So the risk profiling tools that the industry is, not just super funds, but financial advisors as well, it tends to be questions like, okay, you've got $10,000 worth of shares. They fell 15% yesterday. What are you going to do? That question couldn't be any less relevant for superannuation if you tried. And it's very numeric. And it's very, I beat the market, don't beat the market. Right? And that's what we like to do. That's what men do. We like to outperform. Look at the scoreboard, son. Like how many times have you said that? Right? For women, they aren't less of a risk taker. They aren't more risk averse. They just measure risk differently. Women measure risk against a life goal. I want to achieve a life goal. Reduce the risk of me not achieving a life goal. Men will say, I want to outperform the market, right? The stupidity in that statement is, well, if the market went down by 5% every year, you're saying you'd be happy with only falling by four? Women don't care what the market does. 
They just want to achieve a life outcome. It doesn't make them less of a risk taker, but if you frame the questions relating to a market, you will naturally conclude that women are less risk averse. And every study done by actual psychologists, not us finance people, have concluded that women are no more or less risk takers than men. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. While our super scheme is seen as a good way of building wealth, some cynics point out that it is a gravy train for the financial services industry. And um, in the view, in light of what you said previously about $450,000 worth of fees, that does sound like a lot of money. What are your thoughts there? Look, I agree with the cynics and I very rarely say that in life because I'll start with where I disagree with the cynics' statements around that, which is it's a negative thing to say. Say what you're going to do about it. I'm much more about, you know, be productive. Okay. So, yes, it is a gravy train. Let's come back to that. But don't yell at the government. Don't yell at the super funds. Just do something about it. Go out and find a fund that is good value because there are plenty of them around. However, it is a gravy train. So, each year, Australians pay more than $30 billion to super funds and fees. That's more then we pay either teachers or nurses. So let's say for a second that you can't keep that money. You have to pay that money. But now you've got a choice. Do I pay more to a teacher, more to a nurse, or more to super funds? Other than the super funds themselves, tell me one Australian who would actually choose to keep paying more to super funds. Right. So rather than call it cynical, I call it outrage. And the particular outrage is that if they were adding a lot more value for higher fees, then of course, that's great because actually then people are making more money, the economy is better off, we can pay people more money. The more you pay for super, the worse the outcome. You cannot name another product or a service in which by paying more, I get less across the board. If I pay twice as much as you do for a car, my car should be twice as bad. It's not always going to be the case. (laughs) There's definitely exceptions. Anyone who bought a Jag over the last 30 years probably feels a bit that way. But across the board, if I pay more, I get more in handbags, in food, in restaurant, in any other service. In super, our research, the Productivity Commission's research, APRA's research, all point to the same thing. High fees, worse outcomes. Doesn't mean that low fees gives you better outcomes. That's a misunderstanding. But high fees over and over and over again gives you a worse outcome. So our battle is with fees. $30 billion a year is too much, and it's rising very quickly because of the legislation. So within a few years, it'll be $40 billion a year. Teachers will still be at 22 or $23 billion. Our battle is with high fees, and therefore it's with value. At least half of those fees should be eliminated before you're doing any hard work at all. That's just waste. 
Where are those fees being spent? Where is that money going? Look, I always say there's, there's two good reasons for paying a higher fee, and there's at least 100 bad reasons. The two good reasons might be active management, and so your active management basically means I'm paying someone to try and beat the market for me. I personally wouldn't do that. I don't believe that you can. You know, Warren Buffett, probably the pretty much the number one active manager in the world, famously said when he dies, all of his wife's money is going into Vanguard index funds, and I'm in his camp. But that's a belief system. Like, that's not a science. So if you believe that active managers can outperform, pay for it because you need to hire people for that. That's one good reason. The other reason for fees is administration. Super is quite complicated. Think of it every fortnight or every month, your super fund has to collect money from your employer. They have to figure out where it goes to, pay some tax, pay some fees, put it in the markets and take it back out again, report to you. There's work to be done there. The more you pay for administration doesn't give you better administration. Typically, it's you know actually just you should still pay less, but it's a decent reason for some fees. The bad reasons. Pay more for the same is obviously a very bad reason. And typically that comes from layering, which means, so for example, in Australia today, you can invest your money in the Vanguard Growth Index Fund. That's where it ultimately goes into the markets. However, you can pay nearly 2% per annum for that, or you can pay as low as 0.3% per annum for that. And what are you getting? Exactly the same thing minus more fees. And that's because there'll be the Vanguard Growth Index Fund is where it winds up. But then just beneath that, there'll be some kind of wrap platform. And just beneath that, there's an administration platform. You want it with layering. Fund of funds, someone with a sub-manager, too many people in the gravy chain creates fees. That's a bad reason to me. The Vanguard Growth Index product invests in indexes. There's still something underneath them. If I'm going to invest in that index, regardless of how many fees are pay along the way, I'm still getting the index. So find me the cheapest way to get that index, like say Host Plus Index Balance or Hester's Index Balance. There's at least 20 of them that are very, very low for in index balance funds. And then the other one that is a, as a significant cause for higher fees that's not valid is greed. And it's not actually about for-profit or not-for-profit. That's a bit of a red herring. Just because you're collecting a profit doesn't make you any more or less greedy. Some of the not-for-profits spend their money on things that aren't really for members. Famously, over the last few years, we've seen evidence of that. So greed is always bad. It's not for members. There's a bad example. The other aspect of super is that you've bucketed into insurance products as well, and they're opt-out. You don't even know sometimes that you've got an insurance product in your superannuation. What are your thoughts on insurances in super? Look, I think let's start with whether insurance is necessary, and for a hell of a lot of people, it is. It's a very, very important asset to own because you never know. Just like any other insurance, you don't buy car insurance because you're expecting to have a crash. You don't buy life insurance because you're expecting to die. It's to cover the consequences. Insurance through super has its positives and its negatives. Its positives are that it tends to be quite tax efficient because it's a tax deduction to the super fund. Um, So there's a small benefit there and you can't claim a tax deduction when you pay for a life insurance outside of super. It tends to be a lower cost service because they do what's called group insurance. They take thousands and thousands of people who are similar and therefore get a bulk buying discount. And then that's one of the negatives of group insurance is if you're not part of the pack, there's something a bit different about you. It could be a pre-existing medical condition or a nuanced personal environment like divorce. And there's some reason why the group insurance just doesn't work for you. 
and you want something that's more tailored, that's when you'd go for retail insurance. So I'd answer the question in two ways. Is insurance important? Yes. For a lot of people, yes. Is insurance through super important? It's efficient. It's certainly not a bad idea. And if I didn't know anything about someone, I would say, well, don't get rid of it. But it depends on your personal circumstances. It's one of the hardest areas for advisors to deal with because it is so deeply, deeply personal. You can opt out. Most people don't understand they're paying for insurance through their super. The worst thing you can do is pay for insurance through two super funds. For most of us, we only get to die once. So there's only one payout there. So you really don't want to have two. Or rather than even opt out, the first thing they need to really do is go, well, if I'm going to pay for it, I'm actually getting insurance that's worthwhile. Like, you know, I've got a one and a half million dollar mortgage. So there'd be no point in having $80,000 worth of life insurance. What's the point of that? If I'm going to have it, I might as well right size and get the best value out of it. So someone listening to this podcast, when they first go to Superfierce to find out um, a bit more about what you're offering, what will they be presented with? The first thing they'll notice is it's a very different experience. And I should actually start by saying, while the public profile describes me as the co-founder of Superfierce, it's actually the vision of my wife, Trina Probert. And so she set this up off a conversation that we were having one day Clearly, we need to get a life, get some friends because we were talking about super fees and the waste on a weekend. And she took that conversation and shared it with some friends of hers and found that they were all very concerned about their super because they hadn't done enough about it. And they didn't feel like they had the information or the capability to do anything about it. And that's really what we've set out to address, right? We want, firstly, for people to understand that investing, including your super, is entirely intuitive. It's made far too complicated by people in the industry using lots and lots of jargon, and they do that to be able to justify their fees, like the IT sector does, like so many different sectors do. They make it complicated. You go, it's all too hard. I believe what you're saying and pay you the money. Investing is actually very, very simple. And so we start with that. And we, I don't like the word education because it's a bit condescending. prefer to talk about it as being empowerment. Give them access to the information that just lets them know enough that they can be confident to then go and seek advice or ask. When they ask friends about something and they get the answer, they can actually understand and feel confident in making a decision. And if you feel confident in making a decision, you're probably going to engage and actually make decisions. And that is the critical thing. If you don't make the changes to your super in particular, at an earlier age, every day, every week, every month that passes after that costs you money. If I said to you, here's a time machine, you can go back 10 years and tell the 10-year younger self, give them a special stock tip, and that'll mean for the rest of your life now, you'll earn $1,000 a month more without any extra work. No sane person would refuse that offer. And yet that's exactly what we're doing. We're saying, have a look at your super, don't waste your money on fees, do something about it early enough. And if you do, the odds are strongly in your favor that when you hit retirement, you're gonna have something around $1,000 a month more to spend for the rest of your life. Now it takes work to change your super. There's all this talk around, I just click here. If you click here on the uh, consolidate super here or change switch super here buttons uh, that sit everywhere, there's plenty of disclaimers that sit on that for good reason. And the biggest risks you really face are things like you'll go into the default fund option, which maybe have too little or too much risk, 
or you might actually prefer to go into an ethical fund. It will just put you into the standard fund. Your insurance benefits could be lost on switch because it just turns off the old insurance and tries to turn on new ones, but there's no guarantee the new fund will accept your insurance. And the paperwork and the inefficiency of the super industry will blow your mind. You think it's tough dealing with government? Try dealing with super funds. And they manage to lose accounts. They disappear for a while. It always shows up in the end because the ATO also has records. But the switch process is very, very long and tedious. And so we always say, look, engage early. Yes, it's going to be hard work. But $1,000 a month for the rest of your life once you retire, surely that's worth a little bit of work right now. And if not, pay us to do it for you. There's a very, very long answer to a short question. Sorry, Phil. That's okay. Yep. The experience that people have when they join us is, one, they'll find it's very non-financial services, very intuitive. Two, they'll find it's empowering. Three, they'll get a statement of advice at no cost with no hang-ups, no hooks, no follow-up hardcore marketing. We hand that to people because we've created this in a digital environment. It doesn't actually cost us much at all to prepare that advice, and it's pretty much instant. So we're able to do that at no cost because we want people to make a change. We then say to them, make the change. And if you're not going to make the change, don't lie to yourself. A lot of people say, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. And we find out a year later they haven't because they come back and say, oh, sorry. So either make the change or get us to do it for you. And we'll do things like we have this thing called the procrastinator calculator, where we'll literally calculate for you every month that you wait before making the change has cost 67-year-old you this much per week. How do you feel about that? Because we're trying to get people to actually do something for themselves. Importantly, and you'll see this all over our website and statement of advice, we're not paid by any fund in any way. There's no advertising. There's no commissions. There's no insurance kickbacks, which makes us, uh, we're allowed to say the word independent and unbiased as a result. And oddly, that's quite rare in the Australian environment. It's very unusual. You can find those sort of advisors these days. It's a cultural thing we set up right from the start. And it means that people can then be confident that the information they're getting is in their best interest. Whether they do anything with it, that's their call. So you're just basically simply providing the wherewithal to put your super into the place where it's going to work the best for you. Is that what it boils down to? Exactly. And the the advice will say, here's our recommended fund. And our recommended fund will always be the lowest fee fund for you. Because importantly, the lowest fee fund for you will be different to me and different to Trainer and different to everyone else. There's so many different fees in super. They act on us in different ways. But our advice will always be, out of these fierce performing funds, the lowest fee fund for you is what we recommend. However, we will always also show a comparison to an ethical, sustainable investment option. Particularly with women, we're finding more and more that there's a very high degree of interest in investing in that way. So we also then go, look, we won't recommend this because we need to give you advice in your best interests. We don't really know how strong this desire is of yours to invest in that way, but we're going to show you a comparison that is the lowest fee fund in the strong performers that has an option for ethical and sustainable. We'll put those two funds next to each other. Recommend this. By the way, here's this. When you get to the end of that, you can go, great. Thanks for the advice. Appreciate that. I now get to choose which of these I invest in. Click on one of those and then say, I'll do it myself or I'll please do it for me. And that's the experience end to end. And you don't uh, specifically bar men from this service at all, do you? No. <laughs> 
So if they were sitting at about 18% men, and by and large, they are husbands and boyfriends that were told to do it. In no uncertain terms. <laughs> With the usual strength that that statement is given. But yeah, usually they come in after or at the same time. And increasingly, we're finding actually men engaging very deeply in strategies along the lines of there's a significant gap that's created in a woman's retirement balance when she has kids. So what we're trying to encourage is more and more that the other parts of the family chip in to the super at that stage and not just, oh, well, while you're taking time off work, I'll share my super with you. That won't make a big difference. It's more like actually while you're on maternity leave, all of my super will go to you. Now we're closing the gap. Or, hey, mum wants uh, some grandkids. Great, mum, that's wonderful. Put $5,000 into my super now when I'm in my early 20s. So by the time I'm in my 30s and have kids, I've closed the gap. And that's where we're finding men and fathers in particular really engaging. It's very encouraging to see. As soon as they know they can do something about it, they do. It's not like they don't want to help. They just don't know where to start. Yep, and the industry's set up in such a way that it's not uh, making it obvious how people can start and get help. Yeah, they're getting better at sort of promoting strategies. I mean, what is it now, 28th of June? We'll see soon or uh, probably just seen a whole bunch of strategies hit the newspapers saying this is what you can do with your super around this time of year. That's good. So the strategies are getting better, but the effort of doing that is enormous. So for example, one of the traps, one of the things that we manage for customers, if you make voluntary contributions, additional contributions to your super, and if you change super funds, which of course, you know, all of us do at some stage during our lives, if you don't fill in the right paperwork before changing funds, then the tax benefits that you get for making voluntary contributions are lost forever. Wow. <laughs> now, why on earth is that a feature of our superannuation system? But it is, and the implications can be thousands and thousands of dollars um, just wasted in taxation because of basically what's a fault in the super system. That's why when we talk about you can do the switch yourself, just be aware of all the hooks that sit there and make sure you follow through this process. Superfierce charges a sliding scale based on your super balance. Is that correct? I'll answer it in two ways and say, yes, it was, and no, it's not. So depending on when we go to air, but in the next uh, three days, the fee will change to a very flat fee that's basically a dollar a day. So 365 is the annual fee. If you do the switch through us, then that's the set fee, but it comes with a range of subscription benefits as well on the sort of education, engagement material. And if you stay as a customer, then we're constantly we're doing health checkups, checking your life insurance is at the right level, making sure new funds haven't shown up, that might actually be better for you, and checking in to make sure that, you know, if you were doing voluntary contributions to try and close the gap when you choose to have kids or set up a new business, that you're stuck on that track. Mm, fantastic. So tell us where listeners can find out more information. Superfierce.com.au is the best place to go. And uh, the experience is very simple from there. There's a very simple chat function you go through right at the start. There's no obligations literally all the way through until after you've received the advice. Fantastic. Craig Swancher, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks very much, Phil. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Shares for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. 
It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not shares for beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 